In this episode, Ryan and I discuss the infinite banking concept and life insurance in times of crisis, both real and imagined. We had fun. We hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. All right, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And as always, we're having fun. Here we are, uh, the Banking with Life World headquarters, uh, March 21st. 2020 corona free <laughs> and uh and on purpose with intent participating in capitalism yeah and still not, open open for business sending applications working like hebrew slaves without straw <laughs> and but we're violating the social distance you're more than six i mean you're closer than six feet well, if I have, there's an opportunity to violate some politically correct thing. Uh, count me in. Um, but there's less than 10 people. You know, our production team is uh, quite thin today. <laughs> so I think we're within CDC guidelines. Yeah. Well, it's on a Saturday. Does the CDC even open? Does the government even work on Saturdays and Sundays? Know. You know, why not? They're talking about, you know, forced closure of business. Why not, you know, close some government offices? <laughs> no question. I think I reposted a meme on Facebook saying the same thing. I think that's one of the greatest ideas I've heard lately. Of course, I've always been a promoter. You know, we're Texas, so the Texas uh, legislature meets every two years. I think that's a great model, and I think the federal (laughs) government should adopt those timelines, right? Just think of that. Half of the laws would be passed. Half of the rights that are shredded would be maybe preserved. I don't know. I'm just talking out Could loud. Could be, yeah. I'm, that's the right direction. I mean, yeah, I mean, if they have to going. meet at all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen, this is a positive, this is a positive episode because of the... Uh, if you want negativity and panic, go turn the news on. This is, I'm going to be positive. There's a lot to be positive about. That's right. You know, we got in the middle of a significant stock market correction, all of our clients who have paid substantial premium into dividend paying whole life built for the infinite banking concept haven't lost a penny. You want to talk about positive? <laughs> Something to focus on the positive? My gosh, that's a big silver lining. Um, let me tell you what. I mean, in look, all of the uh, social media, I mean, you're going to be the viewer, the listener is going to be shredded with, you know, financial gurus talking about safety and, you know, trading in down markets and, and preserving money and all that. The greatest, and this is, I'm being facetious right now, I just want to preface it with that, but the greatest buying opportunity of a lifetime, right, here on that oh, I shouldn't say that on some of the websites. See, that's why I have a timer, so I know <laughs> whenever we may need to edit a name or something out. I got it. Uh, <laughs> on the major financial entertainment websites, you hear a lot of talk now about the appropriate philosophy for how to feel about one's uh, investment portfolio during a down market, right? And you know, you hear some people in particular who tell you just to totally ignore certain parts of the market, like the futures market, which trades over the weekend. Yeah, Gives hit the little... down limit twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we laugh. We said that. There's a, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are going to get hit very hard 
who are going to see who and you I think you were telling me a story about a gentleman that works at the one of the post offices nearby who was planning on retiring but now because he saw the change in the value of his portfolio has had to readjust those expectations I'm going to work a little longer how do you know he works at the post office (laughs) just saying oh my god there's lots of post offices that's not any particular name I know I listen and I've said it uh, many times that this is so much more than just money mm. and so much more than digits on a page. I'm talking about portfolio valuations, you know, someone's savings, someone's, you know, investments. And there's a difference between savings and investing. There's no question about that. But, you know, this causes uh, unintended consequences. You know, stress levels mm. go up. I don't mm. know how many times I heard Nelson say the number one cause of, uh, you know, health issues, it's... Uh, it's stress. Financial, Most, yeah. Yeah, stress relation, you know, stress related. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what's the number one cause of stress in the family? It's money, you know? So I, I hate it that to, to put um, your dependence right, upon something that you have no control over is scary. Yeah. And, and that applies to the financial world as well. <clears throat> and, mm-hmm. and let me say, too, I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. <laughs> I spend the the time I do spend on Facebook. I'm normally reposting memes <laughs> that are I find funny. So um, I don't I don't become you know philosophical or you're not evangelical. A key, you're not a keyboard warrior, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a lot of friends that are just extremely funny, witty. All right, and so thank you. Um. But I was on Facebook the other day. Yeah. And I see this well a household name uh, coming to Dallas sometime in the future. Uh, it's like it's like it's like the I know uh, exactly who you're talking about. I probably shouldn't say anything. But I mean, it's, it's it's like Michael Bloomberg, you know, and the ads that he was running. You couldn't turn the corner. You could, I was scared to open my closet door to see uh, Michael <laughs> Bloomberg talking. I mean, right in the middle of podcast that yeah. that I have listened to for years, there's a Bloomberg ad you know, before he dropped out of the race. And mm-hmm. I'm like, so this well-known uh, figurehead. Financial entertainer. Yeah, absolutely. A financial entertainer, uh, author that, uh, anyway, he's coming to Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Just blowing up. But you can't get away from him. It's like stocking ads, right? He's sitting there doing a presentation that I did over 15 years ago. And I'm like, I wonder if that's out in the public somewhere. Did he copy me? Hmm. I'm not kidding, and I have mine on. Well, video. there's been a lot. There's been a lot of that recently. I mean, we found you sent me a link from the face. It's on my own Facebook, and it's on public. And I don't care because you use my face in your little video ad. Let's just be clear about it. I'm not endorsing anybody. If, if my he likeness, only endorses me. I'm just kidding. That's true. If if my likeness or words or whatever appears in some ad that somebody else has posted somewhere, some little video with the ominous music to make things sound worse than they really are, just know that. I, I don't work with them, right? And I understand that a lot of people watch Banking with Life, a lot of advisors, a lot of people in the industry watch Banking with Life. You, if you're a, a, a potential client of somebody, uh, some other <coughs> advisor, or maybe a current client of some other advisor that's been encouraged to watch Banking with Life. I mean, I appreciate that. It's always nice. It's flattering to have the, the podcast shared around. I understand it helps a lot of people, but just know that, you know, the opinions, the views, the analysis, what you get here is only here, 
right? I, it, it's, I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody else. Nobody's speaking on my behalf anywhere else. Do you have right? an interpreter out in the big wide world? Anywhere? Don't have one, don't need one, <laughs> right? It's all very, I mean, we got the, we have the Banking with Life podcast. I have the Capitalist, my newsletter. I've got my blog on Medium. Uh, you know, that that's where you can get what I'm putting. So the, you know, I, I don't like it. I, it confuses me that, Others think that, well, assume angelic intentions, right? right? Especially when the cameras are on. (laughs) uh, He's that way off camera. He does really assume angelic. I learned that from you. you It it just confuses me that others in the industry think that it's appropriate to use our product, our work product in place and substitute for their own creative production. And, you know... So, I, but I don't at the same time don't want to be negative. I mean, I as I said on social media, and I, as I'm as we agree upon, like there's a place to assist the industry. There's a place to sure. help other advisors, no question. So I'm not tearing anybody down. But yeah, that that little link you sent me about these people whom I had never met before, and who certainly didn't, you know ask for my permission to use what we were saying, and it featured quite a lengthy comment that you had made, and. It was it was uh, a clip out of one of the parts in the five part book review that yes. you, you and I did, and a friend of mine, a colleague, you know, sent that to me through a Facebook Messenger, which um, I barely use. I don't, you know, I've learned how to use that in the last couple. Of, I have, you know, you can you can buy things on Facebook Messenger. Oh yeah, and you can send money. Oh yeah, yeah I'm a, I was like, my okay. Uh, a friend, a colleague sent that to me and said, Hey, James, have you seen this? Do you know this is, you know, do you know this is being used? And I'm like, no. And it, and it really, uh, it, it, and so I looked at it and it is uh, a short video promoting a webinar. So you, you know, it's a promotion of a, of a funnel, right? That you're going to be drugged through. Right. Um, and it, and it, and there's other people on there, you know, Nelson, there was a clip of Nelson yep. on there couple of other individuals some i recognize some i don't um and it's just like oh my gosh yeah just we can't create it it's already out there so we'll just use it but that's nothing new you know and and i like the way you said it they're substituting our production um time effort energy experience for their lack of creativity yeah and you know look theft is (laughs) and always has been the first labor-saving device Mm. i mean Dang it. Yeah. Stop it. Just quit it. And you know, we're, and it's never going to, like you say, it's never going to go away. And so I had posted this on Facebook and other people commented like they couldn't like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? And uh, it's like, no, I can't believe it, but sort of can, you know, it's not going to stop. And I'm not going to spend all the time, you know, submitting reports or, you know, I'm, I'm not a snitch, right? So it's not like you're going to go <laughs> tell on people all the time, but I am going to blow you up on my newsletter. Right, a pretty pretty dang good rider too, and so it's you know I'm not you know what will it, it will make for juicy content down the road. Let's put yeah. it that way. Um, but I want to get him back to what's been going on. So March 2020, right? They've had there's been a significant correction. I think the last time I looked at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it had gone from somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty nine thousand dollars down to twenty nine five fifty. Yeah, down to twenty thousand or less. I, less. So, yeah, I don't know what it is. You know, but. in round number world, that's a third, 
in my view, right? Yeah. So that's a and grown uh, up round numbers. <laughs> yeah, and grown up adult round numbers. That's a third. Uh, and if you look at, you go to like a Google Finance or whatever, look at the chart over the long term. Yeah. I mean, it's a vertical line down. You know, I, one of the steepest looks to me one of the steepest corrections in as short a time period as I can think of throughout financial history. Just go back in history and, and look, I love the way uh, these charts are reproduced right over mm. and over and over, you know, Yahoo, Google, and wherever you like to go. And depending on who's reproducing the chart, you know, they they shorten or lengthen the chart so it, it affects the appearance, Yes, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, you're talking about, you know, driving off the cliff, that sharp decline, right? Whatever it appears, I mean, it's your money. You can count. We can all do basic, fundamental, grown-up math, right? Um, I don't think this felt any worse. I mean, it, to me, it's like a slow-motion train wreck. Mm. You know it's happening. You're right in the middle of it. You can see it. It's clear, but you can't do anything about it, mm-hmm. right? And that was the same feeling I got back in 2007 and 2008, and 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 I want to say that somebody looking at graphs and charts would would see the same thing that their money is a steep drop off. Mm-hmm. And in two thousand, and just go back through the nineties, couple of corrections through the eighties, couple yeah. of corrections, then the seventies. I mean, you know, it's just um, a new, interesting, you know, cover story, right? right? But the right. same thing continues to happen. For centuries, yeah, the recessions and corrections are nothing, nothing new. They're a consequence of the fact that the financial system is based on fractional reserve banking, right? That the inherent nature of the financial system bakes into the cake that these recessions and depressions, these financial corrections, will occur. Uh, the proximate cause will be different time to time, right? It, we heard a lot about technology in 99, 2000, heard a lot about the stock market and the uh, real estate market in 07, 08. This time you hear a lot about, uh, you know, the coronavirus or whatever, whatever it might be. The particular, <laughs> the, right, the particular proximate cause is always the same. This will continue to happen, which is what is the source of the irritation I feel with the popular conventional financial advice, you know, in reference to all this, right? The, oh, just buy more. It's cheaper now. Buy when there's blood in the streets, right? Buy the dip. If you double your position, you know, the average cost per share goes down. Yeah, dollar cost averaging. The... All of that to me is the promotion of a sort of financial Stockholm syndrome. That's exactly what it is. It's encouraging people to double down so that they can be hit even harder when the next correction occurs, right? The the idea that, oh, you can buy this dip, but in the future, you know, the financial profession will see the upcoming correction coming, which which they always do, never, (laughs) ever do, right? Uh, So so they're going to save you the next time around. Well, okay, that's not going to happen, right? This will just again and again. You know, how many times in the course of your lifetime, and look, I'm not an investment advisor. This isn't about picking stocks. We are not giving investment advice. There's no question. We're talking about what's gone on in the last couple of weeks. How many times in your life- 200 years. (laughs) How many times in your life do you want to have the psychological and emotional stress of 
checking on your nest egg, the thing that's supposed to finance your lifestyle later down the road and be devastated. How, how many times do you want to do that, right? I had, I've, I've had friends who in high school who I haven't heard from in years, mm-hmm. right, text me and say, hey, Ryan, how you doing? And it's like, you know, just checking in, <laughs> wanted to know what you think of all this. And, you know, I tell them. What would you do? <laughs> exactly. What would you, I, I tell, I, you know, my quote unquote advice, and it's, it's not investment advice, but my, really it's life insurance advice. My life insurance advice is the same all the time. It's always a good day to pay a premium. I don't care if the market's up or down. You know, if you want to go ahead, can you have too much capital? Can you build it too quickly? Maybe. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> as long as the policy is <laughs> built correctly, you can't no. pay the premium. It's always a good day to pay a premium. And, it, and then the comfort, at least that I feel, and to think, to get, to zoom out a little bit, to think about all the people Nelson affected. Oh my gosh, yeah. And all of those people who... Don't have who don't feel the need who don't who wouldn't even think to participate in this financial panic and in the emotional distress because they know that their capital they know that their cash values guaranteed and we've talked earlier about some of the questions we get uh, people who are maybe new to infinite banking right the people who have been around who've been who've paid premium for quite a while they've got an enforced policy you know they understand their cash value is guaranteed you know these policies are placed with companies that have been around paying a dividend for over a hundred consecutive years they're they understand the the confidence of the of the position they're in but some who are new might question you know what's what's all this what's the chaos in the market going to mean for infinite banking? What's it mean for life insurance? And, you know, as an economist, my point, my perspective is always, well, compared to what? Sure. Well, compared to what's going on in the publicly traded stock market, what may go on in the real estate world, right, down the road, uh, compared to all of those, these other industries, the inherent security and stability of dividend paying whole life insurance and the mutual life insurance company in general is unparalleled. Yeah. You know, you couldn't want, I keep going back to this and I, I think it's so not understood and not under, not appreciated. Like the relationship between cash value and death benefit, that the cash value, your capital, your equity in life insurance is the net present value of the future death benefit, right? So as the, as time goes by, the cash value must increase. Must. As you continue to pay premium, the cash value must increase. By contract. By contract. Unilateral, legally enforceable contract. Einbahnstrasse. One way, unilateral. I mean, notice no, no, nothing in there talked about a virus. <laughs> nothing in there talked about, you know, what's going on in the, or what the Federal Reserve is doing. Or not doing. Or, or, the, or the, you know, latest untold trillions that they're making available to the commercial banks on a you know, essentially interest-free line of credit. Banks around the world <laughs> lining up those swap lines. I mean, <clears throat> all right, let's be positive. Well, I think that it, the point I is- I mean, that's is accurate that, and truthful. And, but, but the point is the positivity, the silver lining and all of that is that the people who, are, who have done their research, who have vetted the infinite banking concept, who have approached the correct individuals. Maybe <laughs> i.e. paid premium and applied it. And, and put it to work, yep. right? And abided by Nelson's principle, use it or lose it, 
right? yep. who are Bank working. Long range. Don't be afraid to capitalize. Be an honest banker. Don't steal the peas. People who are working their system, they're in a great position. The people who are in underwriting right now, I mean, the companies are chugging along. Underwriting processes are continuing. Policies are going to be issued. Individuals will have the opportunity to pay a premium so they can get on this train too. Yeah. Listen, you I know, had, That's positive. I don't is, care who you are. <clears throat> very positive. Look, I had a phone call. I think it was last week. This is the 21st. I, I believe it was last week. And, you know, he's become a friend. And most of your clients become friends. I mean, it's emotional. And, and you know, you you just get to know people. And um, he calls out of the blue. And he says, hey, James, I just wanted to give you a call because I know your phone's not blowing up, ringing off the wall because your clients aren't losing money. So I didn't want you to feel left out. So I'm calling you. Aw. Right? I consider it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you should toughen up and brave the cold. I'm just, he'll know what I'm mean by that. <laughs> and then, um, you know, you mentioned clients new and, and, and experienced clients. Yeah. Um, he's an experienced client. He's been doing that for some time. <clears throat> I, had a, I had another gentleman email, um, and I shot out a little quick, short video to our clients, right? Just a direct message to them. Um, and it was so off the cuff. I was sitting here, it was earlier this week. He gets nervous when things are off the cuff, but it was actually very good. Thank you. He needs encouragement. Thank you. We all need <laughs> encouragement. But I need a hug every now and then too. I'm just saying. Right? Um, <clears throat> Julie and, and my sister who works here in the office and you know, team corner. Y'all, my clients have know Julie and they've talked to her and, and do talk to her. She's like, hey, James, you know, while I'm finishing up recording this episode, she says, well, you know, can you, can you just off the cuff do a message for our clients? And so I said, yeah, sure. And it turned out to be okay, right? Actually, um, I impressed myself a little bit from what I covered <laughs> in it, you know? And... And I got a response the next day uh-huh. from a gentleman who's been a client for probably 10 years. And he says, James, thank you for the message. Right. And oh, by the way, this may be a good question. Um, how, how long, you know, what, what do you see? Do you see any issues with, um, excuse me, do you, see any, do you see any issues with life insurance companies fulfilling loan requests? Mm-hmm. Request for policy loans? Request for policy mm-hmm. loans. <clears throat> and I said, no, not at all. They've been doing this for over 100 years. Right? They have, and in my little message to our clients, whom I dearly love, my message was very positive. These life insurance companies, as you mentioned, have been around for more than 100 years. They have faced the panic of 1893, 1897, 1901, 1907, 1910, the First World War, the Spanish influenza of 1918, who killed 90, what, that's what it killed, 90 million the crash of 1929, then 32 that oozed off into 33, right? And then the Bretton Woods Agreement, 1944. Oh, wait, I jumped right over World War II. Mm-hmm. Right? The Korean War, 
the Vietnam War, the oil crisis, the savings and loan crisis, right? The the uh, the corrections of eighties in the eighties, Black Monday, Black Friday, and the corrections of the nineties, two thousand, two thousand eight, and here we are again. My point is, they have endured and uh, not only survived, but they actually thrived. Their actuary, they didn't, they didn't skip a beat paying claims in the Civil War. In World War One, 90 million people from the Spanish influenza. I mean, they have faced viruses stronger than this coronavirus and didn't miss a beat. Did you know some life insurance companies paid dividends in gold prior to 1933? I know that because of, you've told me. Okay. So our clients have not lost one dime yeah. with cash value life insurance. It's, a, it's like what's true all the time and what we've tell people in good times, right? When, it, when, when we were still in the longest uh, growth period ever in the history. The greatest, of the, hatest, the, the most hated bull market right. in history. It, it, <clears throat> during, in that time, I was telling people, it's, it was true then, it's true now. There is no better place for your capital than with a mutual life insurance company. That's where it should reside. And then <clears throat> I was talking to, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm talking to an individual in the industry this week too. Mm. I'm just wrapping in stories from the front lines yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, he, he uh, uh, which is typical, you know, he started to, he was going to bring up uh, competition and how better his company or this company or that company mm-hmm. is. And I stopped him. I'm like, listen, no, no. And, and he was going to get to the point where it, how, how will this potentially affect underwriting and claims ratios? They're going to stop underwriting. And I'm like, no, no. And, and he's my senior. So I took him through this short list. And that is a very short list of economic events that I just went through. Yeah. Very short. All right. Not all encompassing. And I said, listen, it, the underwriting wasn't affected. World War One, World War II, right, Korea. So stop it. And, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's really my point <clears throat> to him is like, listen, Everything is going to be okay. These life insurance companies have endured much worse than what is apparent today. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, and that's part. That's the part of the point. <clears throat> that is, is that the this point. This is the secu- This is the the place where capital can be grown safely, especially in times like this of great market uncertainty. <laughs> How do, you can't control the market, neither can I. You can't control the interest rates, neither can I. I can't control the dividend scale, neither can you. And even the life insurance company has a limited um, ability to control a dividend scale. Now you think that one through, mm-hmm. right? Okay, well, I can cause my dividends to go up just by the mere, if, if I have a correctly, properly structured policy, which is why you and I continually talk about Structure, 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 mm-hmm. structure. Structure mm-hmm. is important. You know, um, so I can cause my dividend to go up even in a an environment where dividend scales are declining. I can't control the interest rate. I can control my access to capital. I can control what I do with capital that I have access to. Yeah. And then quite frankly, you know, there's no magic in loans collateralizing your cash values with the life insurance company. So all these videos that come up on the left that have these intricate presentations, you know, I'm not telling you not to watch them, but most of them, you would save time by swiping left and going right to the Nelson Nash Institute 
in uh, maybe researching some of what Nelson's work was, his book, first book, second book, his 10-hour seminar. Thank you, David. If you go there, just let David know we sent you. I mean, we don't get paid, but uh, maybe I'll get a kudo. I don't know. My whole point is that I can't control any of that. Yeah, the interest rates and dividend scales, and that, and then let me let me put that to the real estate market too. Now, in light of what's going on, do you think there's going to be a forbearance in mortgages? Do you think there's going to be a, <laughs> a forbearance? Look, some of these New York, California, um, some of these rent controls. Do you think that there's not going to be a forbearance in real estate income with the renters? And so, if you're a real estate investor, and I'm not, I don't know, um, I don't know. I'm asking a genuine question. Yeah. If if I was a a real estate owner, I would be prepared to have some disruptions in my rental income. Yeah, it'd be okay to have that real estate investment portfolio fully collateralized by, for instance, cash value and dividend paying what? life insurance. Yeah, you mean so, using the life insurance policy structured correctly as an operating account for mm-hmm. a real estate portfolio, a yep. real estate investor. So, yeah. and there's a couple. I'm glad you brought up policy loans earlier, and then that comment just then because. The mortgages are one example, but all types of loans. You know, Americans are heavily in all sorts of consumer debt. We're just trying to be like our government. We're trying to over-collateralize. But, you know, just notice that an individual who's got this, all these third-party debts, maybe it's the car, maybe it's the mortgage, uh, maybe it's medical debt, maybe it's student debt. You know, is the federal government going to put a uh, hiatus on student loan debt or student loan interest? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows, right? It's outside of our control. And that's kind of the point. Compare all of that to what goes on in the policy loan world. If the individual who's got all these outstanding debts with all these various third-party companies instead had that debt outstanding in the form of a policy loan balance with dividend-paying mutual whole life insurance companies, couldn't they decide, I'm not going to make that payment this month? I'm going to skip a payment? I'm not going to make that payment this quarter. I'm going to pay interest only this year? I might wait until the the state-mandated closure of business lets up. I might wait until I go back to work. I might wait until I can stop telecommuting and I can actually go back into my office, right? I might wait until my seasonal sales go back up after all of these economic closures are done. I might, in other words, I might examine the economic landscape and decide for myself whether it's appropriate to continue to pay on these loans. Now the end of, the average individual has never thought about that who has who, who has not implemented infinite banking who is still dependent upon third party conventional creditors for their supply of capital because their decisions out of their hands it's in the government's hands it's in the mortgage lender's hands it's in the state regulator's hands he who has the gold makes the rules so all I'm saying is that times <clears throat> like these where there's liquidity crises or whatever the current terminology is for the underestimated need for capital, in all of these times, it's just another instance where we can demonstrate the flexibility and authority inherent in a dividend-paying whole life policy, like you said, structured correctly. And I want to make this point about structure. You know, 
I understand that for in store, it's kind of along the stories from the front lines idea too. I understand that people who are new to the concept, who might think of themselves as numbers people, quote unquote, or the analytical engineer types, may have questions about this or that the structure. Financial enthusiast. Yeah, someone who's you know maybe they've spent a lot of their free time on spreadsheets. God bless you, but. It, I, I understand that you might have questions about structure. I just want to say this, okay? You wouldn't tell Picasso to send you drafts of what he's thinking of painting. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't contact... I was watching a, a very popular podcast. The, the individual had an auto, uh, a, like a unique auto... Concept cars. It yeah, was unbelievable. And yeah. he took old vehicles and remade them. And his clients would come to him and say, here's the money. I, you're the artist. Just go do it. And so he would. He's got a two-year-long waiting list, right? Mm-hmm. People lining up because they understand that this person has dedicated his life, considers his work product very dear to his heart. It's a. It's a very uh, personal passionate. type of work. Personal, work. passionate yeah. type of work. <clears throat> so you know, there's a play. My point is that there's a place for questioning the structure of a dividend-paying whole-life policy built for the infinite banking concept. But just know, please, that structure is very important to us, and it's it's at the front lines of our considerations, whether it's for you know, your ability to fluctuate your PUA premium down the road or whether it's the safety relative to modified endowment contract rules or, you know, how your policy will be treated if the IRS decides to go around and audit the books of life insurance companies. Oh, they would never do that. Just understand that (laughs) all of those considerations are front and center for us. Right, and the policies that we designed that we would provide to an individual, the public, are of the same sort of a similar structure that we ourselves would buy, that I myself buy. Right, so it's. I just want that to be. I, I, I must, want that to be front and center yeah. for the folks that I talk to in the future who are concerned because. We're not blind. We get it. We know that all around social media and on YouTube, every uh, agent and advisor who has discovered <coughs> podcasting wants to go tell everyone how only they know what a correct IBC structured policy looks like, right? And if you vary from them at all, oh, they must be incorrect, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we can, we know, we hear that, we see it. Uh, and, and I know that. There may be people in my process right now watching this podcast and watching other podcasts. Just know that I know that we that's all going on. He knows that right? you know that he knows that you know. Yeah. And your policy is still going to be built correctly. It's going to fit your situation like hand in glove. It'll be handcrafted, custom made to fit your particular financial situation. And with every possible conceivable thing in mind that we want to watch out for, future flexibility, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe you need to lower premium in a time of economic turmoil where there's a cash flow interruption like there might be around these times. Mm -hmm. We were on the phone the other day, you and I, talking about a client call, right? And you said it. Thank goodness we build policies the way we do, because this individual will have the have the ability to reduce his PUA premium you know, payment. I'm, I must say, you said earlier, you build, we build policies that the of the structure that we might buy, mm-hmm. right, and that we would purchase personally. <clears throat> I'm, I mean, all right. 
and I say it all the time because I'm very proud of my age. I'm 56 years of age, all right? Um, I met Nelson, right? I, uh, I met Nelson uh, 15, this is 2020, 16 years ago. Right. Right, I've been in the financial world, life insurance agent, yada, 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 for almost 30 years. All right, so 29, so because I was a life insurance agent 14 years before I met Nelson. All right. And I, and I'm saying that to say this. I did not wake up yesterday, last week, last year, last month and decide, "Oh, this is how you build a policy." All right. First I was, you know, what training existed and much more then than now, the training that existed in the financial world, I got that. All right, which training from a life insurance company, they build policies one way. They can't see outside the death benefit, you know, estate planning, income replacement, and there's nothing wrong with all of those Oh my gosh, most advisors don't even build their own policies. No, they don't. All right, wait, wait, wait. Now, I read Nelson's book, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it blows my mind. I travel across the country to meet him. I become a a sponge, just like white on rice. Every time that man turned around, there's James Nethering. He's like, my God, boy, get away from me. (laughs) Not so. But we developed a great friendship, a mentor, father figure, you know. um, Okay. I started immediately. I bought life insurance policy on myself and my wife's life, right? I flew home after I heard Nelson. I read his book, right, called him. And figured out where he was going next when he was doing his 10-hour presentations. I flew out there, got out there. I came back. I restructured all my life insurance. So I implemented immediately. Now, it was too small, and I would not own that or recommend that particular company today, but I still own them, pay substantial premiums to them. Um, I learned how to build, starting from Nelson's um, structure and becoming your own banker, mm. right? I And... That's where I started, right? Correctly learning the infinite banking concept. And then that developed over application, right? In use in different companies and learning their products and blah, 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 blah. I used, I, I, was, a, I was my own guinea pig, right? So I discovered the companies that we represent and work with and own um, how to build a correct policy. And it's not because I woke up yesterday and said, oh, this is right and that's wrong. I own these policies that I will not write today. I personally mm, own them mm-hmm. and I would not do them again. I would not I would not put my clients in them, in the structure. Now, is it going to be the end of the world? No. And they're not the only policies I own. But um, there's a reason, multiple reasons. There's a plethora of mm-hmm. reasons why we build policies the way we build them. And when the agent, the average agent on the street cannot build his own policies, he's relying on the home office. Um, that, you know, I mean, that, that pains me, right? Okay. Um, so I just want to make a point that I learned how to build policies beginning with Nelson Nash and then, through trial and error, trying to improve. It's pretty tough to improve on something that's dang near perfect. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying Nelson was flawless at all. Interest rates have come down. Dividend scales have come down, all of which we can't control. The CSO tables have changed, right? I can't control any of those. But I know how to build a policy, and you do. We know how to build policies that are not only good in the first year, 
They're going to in the second year, the 10th year. And the last year you're going to be walking this earth, and you don't know when that is. Neither do I. It's not even your business. Uh, it's really God's business, my opinion. And I always get around to the question, like on these aficionados, the, I, and I think they're genuine, right? The consumer's genuine. They just want to do the right thing. They, do. uh, they don't want to make any mistakes. Um, my question is, in what year do you want your policy to be most efficient? And there is normally dead silence. And, and 99% of them say, well, James, I don't even know how to answer that question. And I say, thank you. There's no way for you to, you know, know how. Po-. And the short answer is every, every year. year. Yeah. Every year. That's the truth. More efficient over time by design. I mean, I tell people, like, you know, think of an airplane that's going to take off, starting off in the morning, full tank of fuel, right? You know what water weighs per gallon? I don't know, but I know it's heavy. And I know a plane Nine or 10 pounds a gallon. Got a full tank of gas is going to be heavier in the morning than it is in the evening. I know our pilot friends will let us know, but I think fuel weighs about 10 or 11 pounds a gallon. So that might mean that. It takes more fuel to fly a unit of distance in the morning when the plane is heavier than it does in the evening when the plane is lighter. Well, now you're just assuming they take off in the morning. Well, yes, yes. Follow the example. (laughs) (laughs) A plane that burns fuel over the course of a day gets lighter over time. Nothing special about it. You know, didn't need a unique pilot or anything. Just man-made laws like Nelson used to say. So the plane travel gets more efficient over time just because of the way the world works. So the engines require less thrust, less output. Yeah. If they keep or maintain the same thrust, the same output. The same principle applies to dividend paying whole life. The net amount of risk decreases over time. Your policy will become more efficient the longer that God allows you to walk this earth. Right. What you need is the correct structure so that you can exercise your authority relative to that policy, right? That means changing the premium level. It means knowing just for how ju- for just how long you can pay a substantial PUA premium, right? <clears throat> and making sure that the structure of that policy is correct from a from the modified endowment contract point of view to accept your fluctuating premium. Um, what? Yeah. Oh. What? You know, and that's one thing we were talking about uh, affiliations and endorsements earlier, none of which exist. Uh, you know, when people say that, well, you know, so and so they they do IBC too, yeah. right? And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I <laughs> I know what IBC means to me. You know, I mm-hmm. I know what that means in terms of policy design for my clients. I have no idea what other agents, what other advisors think IBC means in terms of structure is not available for me to know. And the 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 illustrations and the paperwork and the things that clients who have limped away from failed advisor relationships that the, what I see that they show me from these you know war torn relationships. Oh my gosh! I, based on that, I don't want to know what other advisor you know. So all I all I have available to me is my understanding. What I've learned from you, what I learned from Nelson, right? What I know of dividend-paying whole life insurance, the mutual insurance company, and uh, Austrian economics, right? And with that, I can put together what I think are the best policies for an individual. I had someone uh, email me. He said, uh, "You know, well, I'm 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 working with another advisor, and uh, I'm about to start IBC next week. Right? We're about to get our policies." He says, "But you know, uh, I don't hear from him very often." 
He's like, so I'd really like for you to to be my advisor. I'm armchair quarterback to work. Or- yeah, and I, you know, I appreciate, I, listen, it's, it breaks my heart that people feel neglected by the industry, whether it's in IBC or whether it's in conventional finance, right? But there's really only so much I can do about it. Right? Well, I, I Fortunately, would- the life insurance companies pay us, right? And so we have, we, we have a transactional, mutually beneficial basis on which to provide continuing advisory services to our clients. And unfortunately, for clients who come from these other advisor relationships, that basis is not there, right? So it's like, ooh, I'm, I'm hurting for you, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's a service that our people get. I don't know how many podcasts there are that have been running for over a year, you know, with dedicated, continued, consistent publication and uh, uh, service after the point of sale. Uh, but that, you know, that's something that we offer. And it's, um, you know, we can spend all day talking about structure and we can spend all day talking about policy design. But there, just keep in mind, my point is, just keep in mind that there might be other things worthy to be considered in deciding who to work with to get an infinite banking structured dividend paying whole life policy. Oh yeah. <clears throat> I agree. Thank you for saying that. That reminds me of a, an, it's either an email or a comment sometime back last year, March. Right? I don't remember. Uh, uh, somebody made a comment. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was a comment. Um, and it was kind of a snide comment. On, uh, I can't imagine yeah. on social media, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't allow those to be published, or I take them down. You know, if there's mm-hmm. cussing or you know promoting or whatever. Um, but then he 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 called our office. There was some kind of connection that you know. There's a comment here. It's a very snide comment. But then he calls the office and he enters into our process. You know, and there's a difference. You know, different name or whatever. But. You know, the girls in my office are pretty sharp. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and so um, he was, uh, is this you, you know, that made this snide comment? And it was something along the lines. There's several comments. And then it wound up being something along the lines of, oh, because it, it wasn't responded to, like, immediately. Um, it's like, oh, I get it. This you won't reply to a comment or a question. I can only imagine after a policy is purchased, you're paid. Then there's no service. Oh wow! Right? And, wow. And, and of course, you know, it's not going to get published like that. No. Um, and then and so it's that's like insulting. It, it's very insulting, right? And, and probably the guy didn't have any money to begin with. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of comments that anyway. Uh, when they found out, you know, they just put, it was just very straightforward. Hey, is this you on? Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. Hey, we're not a good match. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so while you're vetting and you should do your vetting, like whenever you enter our process, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a mutual vetting. Right. Um, and we've talked about that before. I love people. I, I'm like, I'm so full of love. It's not even. It's crazy, right? I'm always smiling and skipping yeah. on the inside. Um, and, and I want to, and you do too, we want to work with intelligent people. It's just like you, 
a minute ago, please, you know, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, you mentioned you you've learned from me, you've learned from Nelson, Austrian, you're an economist. And that's in no way implying that you have ever stopped learning. Right. I mean, we're, we're yes, it's like, yeah. I, I've not arrived. You have not right. arrived. We do not have the arrival syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, and it's easy to beat up the financial world, right? I've been around them for 30 years, 29. Um, listen, if you're an agent or an advisor, you know, just do your homework, do your vetting, you know, be of service to your clients, right? Be of service. When they call, answer the phone, do what's right. And and I trust that most all agents and advisors do. The ones that continually listen to this podcast, these episodes, I think that they're legitimate, you know, um, and there's always a, the, the trolls out there that, you know, that are, that are advertising, you know, for their recommended videos to come up on the right. I get it. And they're doing that because we have, you know, 10 or 15 times of traffic. I mean, I, I get it. Um, but I'm not, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about all the other agents and advisors that want to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm just being encouraging. So thank you for letting me share that. Well, I want to <laughs> identify part of what you said earlier on that we had a phone call about earlier this week uh, is that anti-capitalist mentality. Oh, you mean like this uh, social distancing? Don't, well, <laughs> don't close close down the dine-in. There the, are a number. Well, that, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go. We're going to go get takeout after this, and I don't care where, and I don't even care if I'm hungry or I eat it. I support your local businesses. I mean, I can't imagine how many businesses are going to go out of business, right? And I'm talking about the small. I'm not talking about the big businesses that can get all these guaranteed loans from the government and, you know, the Fed. I'm talking about the small businessmen. And, and, and you, you look at the loopholes, or not the loopholes, you look at the requirements that the small businessman is going to have to jump through to get relief. And you compare that to the requirements that big businesses will have to jump through to get relief. And I'm not opposed to, um, to, to extending relief to the markets when, you, when things like this happen. Okay, I, don't, I, I want to remain positive. And I'm just encouraging you, all of you, go spend money at your local economy. Go spend money at your local small businesses because what's going on is completely anti-capitalist. Yes, it is. And unfortunately, the anti-capitalist mentality is so pervasive that a lot of people see it. And my Austrian and libertarian friends uh, like my to eyes are not rolling like to bring up you know the idea of, oh, there's trade-offs, right? You know, surprise, surprise, there's trade-offs to closing down entire sectors of the economy. And I, it's like, I mean, yes, that's true, but that's, I, I think that's beside the point. The, the, the general uh, feeling in the mainstream and the public, I think, understands that, that there are trade-offs. And the point is, they're willing to burn it down. That the trade-offs are beside the point, you know. It's 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 a war, as the president said. You know, this is a wartime, right? Uh, bringing back the Defense Production Act, right? Forced socialization of entire industry, right? It, it, it is amid a war, right? Originally a 1950 law, like, oh my gosh, right? So, I think we're cognizant of the trade-offs, and I think people are just willing to burn it down because going back to that anti-capitalist mentality, there's such a lack of understanding of what makes this world tick, of all the processes that have to go on uninterrupted 
behind the scenes that you don't see, that you don't hear about, that don't make the news, to put the goods on the shelf, right? To keep the doors open, keep the lights on. And my heart, I mean, I was in a server, uh, waiting tables in restaurants for like five years throughout college, right? Had this happened to me then? Oh my gosh. Set five, seven years ago, I'm out of a job. Sure. Out of a, I mean, fortunately, don't have you know a family to take care of, but think of the people who do. Yeah, and it's, you know, the, <laughs> I could go on, but it, it it's it's it breaks my heart, it really does. And of course, so the hospitality world, the culinary world, still a big part of my life. I have a lot of friends in that world, and their livelihood is put on indefinite pause, indefinite, Ooh. and and to my. Oh, shock and horror uh so many companies uh rolled over and said okay indefinite closure yeah why not and rolled over and encouraged it and look maybe i'm not a medical professional maybe it's necessary i'm not commenting on that but i am an economist and i am saying that uh the effects of this will be devastating. And to my friends out there in the Austrian libertarian world who say that the coronavirus has caused what's going on in the stock market, my encouragement, my invitation is to stop using that language. The coronavirus has not caused anything. That's going to go down in history. The reaction, the state-mandated reaction to this particular event is what has contributed to what's already been done, that's already led up to this bubble and everything, oh, as yeah. I've seen it called. Right? The yield curves inverted a long time ago. The money's the growth rate and the money supply decelerated last year. Right. I was writing in the July 2019 edition of The Capitalist, my newsletter, that the that the stage was set, right? The, the lack, the upcoming lack of liquidity would, yield, would lead to, per Austrian business cycle theory, a yield curve inversion, and that th this is nothing new, right? For the last six recessions, right, properly measured, a yield curve inversion, properly measured, the difference between the 10-year, the yield on the 10-year treasury bond and the yield on the three-month treasury bill, when there's a yield curve inversion of, dur of sufficient durability that's lasted long enough, a recession follows within 12 to 18 months, right? You can see it in the yield curves, and then you can see it before the yield curve inversion in the rate of acceleration of the money supply properly measured. Unfortunately, it's not properly measured. That's why Bob Murphy and I are going about fixing that, but you can do it. Get to it, man. Y'all been talking about it since July. Well, that's on, all I'm saying is that it's right within the proper time frame. You know, long before <clears throat> there was ever anything about this or that virus or closing this or that state or this or that industry, uh, the stage was set long ago. So I would just, to be uh, correct economically, uh, terminology, talk about terminology. Mm -hmm. Terminology very important. There's an institute, an organization, a 501c3 that has a podcast that's fairly popular, that the host of which continued to say that all the economic crisis that's been caused by the virus, it's just, just please don't, I mean, just know that that's not technically correct. Uh, right? What, where, where does correctness uh, live in history? I'm just saying, hidden. <laughs> there, 
look, it's going to go down in history that this virus caused this correction. You know, so point taken that um, you've written about it. I want to close the loop, too, on that bit about the anti-capitalist mentality, since we're talking about others in the Austrian and libertarian world. Um, I'm not. You you are. The the subtle... begrudging of the commission salesperson uh you know it's as if unless you're commissioned off of some modern politically correct thing like you know affiliate sales by running ads on your podcast uh unless you're making money that way right that's the only acceptable version of sales nowadays right if you're one of these heaven forbid life insurance salesmen my gosh, you should be side-eyed, right? And who's who's doing that? I mean, I don't name names. Are you saying the, <laughs> the podcast guy side-eyed? There's a number of them. Oh, yeah. There's a number of them, and you know what? I I want to be very direct and very clear. The infinite banking concept is the way to secede from this nonsense. No question. If you don't want to participate in the panic and the psychological trauma that's going that's being caused. Uh, by what's going on in the stock market and with the Federal Reserve, the the infinite banking concept is the solution. Um, I so, don't know why pe- people who know better <laughs> don't say that, and it, it's hmm. that's the the IBC is the answer. It is the answer, and if you don't, I mean, we didn't have a choice. Well, I don't want to say we didn't have a choice. We didn't have a choice necessarily in the timing, right? So we we're. We're participating in this, you know, It's always a good time to pay a premium. So if you don't want to participate in the next one, um, you know, this, and, and I've said it, I don't know how many times this week, the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker is the antithesis of what is going on. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. No question. And that's where a lot of the, the questions that are new entrance into the IBC world, the newly enthusiastic about the IBC. That's a, that's a lot of their, a lot of those questions I think still are come about because we're still thinking in the conventional financial mindset. You know, we're still thinking in terms of rates of return. Sure. We're still thinking in terms of a fundamentally investment style of yeah, thinking. Accumulation, and I'm not ever risk. going to shut up about it. This is about capital, right? This is about a, a capitalization use and deployment strategy. Mm-hmm. Then right? it solves Nelson said it over and over and over because it's true. Who's controlling the banking function in your life? That is a legal question. It's an authority question. It's a contractual question. You have to have a legal contractual uh, answer to address it. it. It's about asset choice. It's about framing your thinking correctly. You know, this is, it's so not about investing. Um, you know, it, and if you want to keep it about investing, you know, strap in. Yeah, no, it's the, the, not. Life insurance is not an investment. You say, I say it, said it and said it and said it and say it. We'll say it over and over and over and over and over because life insurance is not an investment. It is not. It is a place to put your money. It is a place to capitalize. It is a place to build warehouse capital and then use that capital. Yeah. I mean, I got it from Nelson. You know, we all have to have a primary place of residence, right? We can travel anywhere in the world. At one time, we could, right? <laughs> to take advantage of an opportunity or a vacation, and whenever that opportunity is 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 uh, completed, the vacation is completed, you return home to your primary place of residence. 
Okay, your money's no different. It needs a primary place of residence. Yeah, you know, and that reminds me too. My, I was talking to Jana the other day, um, and we were talking about traveling. You know, we had a bunch of travel scheduled that now we're probably not going to be able to do. Maybe not. I'll be positive. Maybe all this will blow over in a couple of weeks, and we'll be able to maintain our travel plans. Um, but in the conversation previous to my wife Jenna that we were having was triggered by um, I think a client I can't remember but it was somebody that was buying a new motor home okay and they and that's that's their primary place of residence or a motor home they travel the country and it sounds great sounds exciting and I was telling Jenna about this you know um I don't know that how do how do you satisfy that feeling when you're going home? You know what I mean? Whether it's from work, vacation, or from school, whatever. You're going home. I mean, does somebody in the motorhome that travels the world does that ever get satisfied? I don't know. I don't either. It's a, it's, I can't imagine that. It's a legitimate question. Yeah. But your money is no different. It needs a primary place of residence, and it should be in properly structured dividend-paying whole life insurance after you've done your vetting, after you've done your research, and if it makes sense to you. So I'm not giving any direct advice. I'm just encouraging you to consider this idea of becoming your own banker and consider it from the source. You start at the Nelson Nash Institute at his work, becoming your own banker, building a warehouse of wealth. His 10-hour seminar this is available at infinitebanking.org. Not all these other places that I find that may or may not. I find that people don't even know that you can still buy a seminar. I mean, yes, it's two hundred dollars, and it's okay, current clients, to finance the purchase of Nelson's six-hour, seven-hour, eight-hour, whatever long the one it is, or the one they sell now. Uh, it's okay to take a policy loan, go buy it. And for people who are vetting the concept, if you're going to make a decision about the direction and origin and destination for your cash flows for the rest of your life, it's okay to spend $200 to fully vet the originator, you the know, creator of this concept. Since you can't go out to eat, I know you can do drive out, take out, and you should, but spend that $200 buying that 10 hour seminar. I mean, does, I'm just saying, that's a good opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, to go by that. All right, what else, young man? I think I covered everything I wanted to get to. Uh, I hope I closed things up here. Um, made some loops, closures of loops, but you did. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. The life insurance industry is going to be super strong. The financial world is going to be okay. The country is going to be okay. So you know, live your life and and be free and independent right and support your local business do everything that you're going to do anyway right and just be nice be be nice to one another i mean don't lick any handrails right <laughs> <laughs> all right all right see you next time thank you for joining us on the banking with life podcast if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.